Welcome back to the Rad Lab Podcast. I'm Dr. David Dan, and this is a continuation of our interview series. And today we have a special guest all the way from NASA. He is uh, the principal investigator for space nuclear propulsion at NASA. He got his PhD at MIT in nuclear engineering. He spent time at Los Alamos National Lab. He has won numerous awards from NASA. I don't need to name them all, but he's won quite a few. And he is an associate fellow of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. And his name is Dr. Michael Houts. Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been, you know, when, we, when I saw you on the, uh, on the docket for our seminar list, I was like, this is one of the people I would definitely want to get on. You know, space is just, it's, everyone loves space, right? You can't, yeah. I, there's hardly anyone who doesn't like space, right? Yeah. So to have yeah. someone sitting across from me um, from NASA and doing something like space nuclear propulsion, which we'll get into a little bit and it, we'll have to see how much you can get in with it, but mm-hmm. hopefully you can give us at least the basics. But before we do any of that, I like to start, you know, from the beginning, Okay. right? Mm-hmm. I like to start from the beginning. So where are you from? Okay, so I was actually I was, uh, uh, born in Massachusetts and then uh, lived in Iowa for a while and then uh, down in Florida and then uh, went back up to Massachusetts for grad school and then uh, got to work out in New Mexico for uh, at Los Alamos National Lab. I was there for a total of 11 years and then uh, kind of oscillated back and forth between New Mexico and Alabama <laughs> a couple times and then ended up uh, now I'm down in uh, Madison, Alabama uh, working for a NASA Marshall Space Flight Center. Awesome, awesome. So... Were you always interested in science, or was it something that you learned to love? So, I, I, as far as I can remember, it was more, um, uh, you know, just just interest growing up, and a lot of that was like my parents, my dad, take me out. You know, we lived in Massachusetts, and I remember once we uh, we got stuck in a blizzard, which, you know, when you're you know three or four years old, that's a whole lot of fun. When you're the parent trying to drive the car, I'm sure it's not as much fun. But uh, anyway, uh, by the time we got home, we. Uh, Looked out and there's a totally clear sky and there's a comet there over like a couple feet of fresh snow, which was why we'd been stuck in the you know and uh, <laughs> and it was uh, so really started getting interested in space and nature and um, and then that of course led to science and then don't remember when I first got interested in nuclear engineering it was in grade school and then after um, uh, you know got through school got to college uh, I was an undergraduate and the uh, had a professor uh, tell. Yeah, I was still very interested in space. Growing up in Florida, of course, went as many launches as I could and, and uh, really, really liked the space program. And uh, just had a professor tell me, well, if we really want to move out into space, we're going to need nuclear power. And so that's when I went ahead and went um, into nuclear engineering. So uh, really since my high honors project and then through grad school and, uh, you know, work at Los Alamos, work at uh, NASA, I've been really blessed, been gotten to work on space nuclear power and propulsion systems. And so I still think they're going to be really important as we move out into space. Wow, that's amazing. Like, so you were interested in space from an early age. And yeah. It was space first and then came Yeah, it was else. kind of stargazing and then watching rocket launches and, yeah. and uh and so, so very fascinating space. And then, okay, how do you really do something big in space? And that's why I started getting interested in space nuclear power and propulsion. And awesome. so there's, and there's all kinds of really fun careers related to the space program. So I shouldn't, but just for me, that was, that's what got me going in the direction I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. How did you make the switch to nuclear? Because it's something that not everyone gets exposed to until, you know, later in their careers. And for me, it was more of, you know, it was kind of, for me, it was like the frontier of it, you know, the frontier yeah. of chemistry in my mind and, you know, working with stuff that people really don't get the chance to work with. What was, what was your... Yes, I, I can't 
uh, I can't remember what it was, if it was a TV show or if it was talking to somebody. Uh, I think my first first thing or the most recent thing I remember was uh, in fifth grade we were uh, uh, talked to you know sketch out some kind of invention or something and mine was a nuclear powered automobile. And but as far as what made me think about that because because I remember at the time I was like well that's a no brainer I'm going to do my nuclear powered automobile but I actually don't remember what the you know what the exact moment was when I thought well hey yeah nuclear engineering's a good thing to do I do know it's uh, uh, I mean it's just it's a really good source of energy I mean if you look at the uh, just the energy density compared to chemical reactions it's got you know tens of millions of times the energy density uh, the um, <clears throat> so a very small amount of uranium. Uh, can provide, you know, it's almost indescribable amounts of energy. You uh, you take like a, a two train cars full of uh, just standard reactor fuel, that'll power a, a nuclear power plant for 18 months. Uh, if I try to do that chemically, you know, just as an example, you get, uh, I think it's 100 train car loads of coal uh, per day, you know, to, to power a coal plant, you know, versus two train car loads, you know, over 18 months. So, you know, just little things like that. And then, um, and then the, I know there's, um, uh, a lot of, you know, you know, I, I guess you'd say, uh, uh, I, I say it's not. I don't want to say fear of the unknown, but it's just, uh, you know, that's one of the things about you know, you know, things associated with nuclear power that sometimes people get nervous about. But I really think once uh, you know, have a good, uh, uh, you know, just a good open, you know, public education campaigns, which we're having a lot of recently, uh, I think that that'll really help allay those concerns. Because even if, uh, yeah, if you and I are convinced, hey, this is the absolute best source of energy, uh, you don't want people being stressed over it. You don't want people being nervous about it. So you really want to have a, a very good, open, you know, frank discussion. But I think just the last few years, we've seen uh, really a tremendous upswing in support for uh, nuclear energy just because of its, its attributes. It's, uh, you know, it obviously doesn't emit CO2. It's a very clean form of energy. Uh, it's very safe. We're on our fourth generation of reactors now. We know how to scale them. We know how to build them. There's a lot of companies starting up building them. So, uh, uh, but as far as when I first when it first clicked, uh, uh, I was yeah again can't remember the exact moment that it really clicked. At, you know, nuclear engineering was a you know potential thing to to think about. Yeah, yeah, and like to to piggyback on a lot of that, you know, the job market is wide open. Oh like, yeah, it's yeah. getting bigger and bigger. I think the big push to nuclear is we just can't, like, with the push for electric cars and all these things that people want, you know, we need power to power all these things. Oh, yeah, yeah, you and, need electricity, you know, yeah. And coal and things are just not going to cut it or just are so dirty compared to nuclear that it only makes sense that we're moving in this direction now. Yeah, right. oh, yeah. I think there's even universities. I want to I, I want to say University of Illinois, I know, seriously considering putting a— uh, almost maybe one of these uh, small modular reactors that there's a lot of talk about on they're, they're uh, I think they're considering putting one of those on campus. I think that's a you know great idea. I mean, as far as training students, uh, really could have a global, very positive global impact with uh, systems like that. So you're so you're right. Things are are definitely seem to be moving that direction. Yeah, and if you're listening. TTU is starting a nuclear engineering program. Yeah. So if any of the things we talk about today are interesting, I would say look into it. We'll put a link in the description towards TTU, and you can look into and see if it's a path you want to go down. Because yeah. I think right now, I think the market's going to be so open. Unfortunately, the the people in the field are getting older and older, yep. and we don't have enough people to replace them. So, you know, if you're worried about job security, this is one of those things that can really keep you keep you going for a long time. Yeah. And and coming in from the outside, I've had a great, great tour today, looking forward to the seminar, but just uh, to me, this is a just a great potential location for, for something like one of those small modular reactors or to have a nuclear engineering department, something where you're, you know, uh, training the workforce and uh, training them on the kind of the most modern 
uh, systems, you know, the current modern systems that are really applicable, not just in the U.S., but really around the world. They're the right size. They're uh, very advanced from a, a safety standpoint. They're uh, very reliable. So it's, uh, so again, I think, you know, to me, just look at this campus. And, of course, I'm sitting in here in this beautiful uh, chemistry building, you know, with, uh, what is it, like three years old? So yeah, old. yeah. Uh, you know, state-of-the-art equipment. So it's easy to get, you know, biased that way. But yeah. uh, to me, and it'd be a great, great opportunity yeah and the new engineering building just right across the street that they're currently building too so you yeah. know there's so much opportunity here and i think they're the one thing that the university has done a lot of is put a lot of money into you know sci the sciences and engineering and things and you know we always love to see that right yeah so yeah, yeah. you know so so much opportunity here and if you want to get on the ground floor because it, it is turning into a ground floor because we're kind of almost starting over with you know all the people retiring and things like that it's um that's one of my biggest worries is some of that knowledge loss might happen because of the overturn that we're going to see in the next decade or so. Yeah. So we need people to come in and be able to, to take up those positions for sure. So talking about school and talking about, you know, possibly going to grad school and things like that. Um, how was your graduate school experience at MIT? So it was really good, uh, but I will say it was because uh, I was able to work on something I was really interested in. So I was able to, uh, did a couple summers out at uh, Los Alamos National Lab as an intern, and then also uh, uh, worked down at the, uh, the, it's now the Air Force Research Lab. It was the Phillips Lab, I think, at the time I was down there. But it was, uh, uh, I had a couple summers down there, but I was always getting to work on space nuclear power and propulsion systems. And so I would say, uh, just advice is, you know, especially, uh, you know, undergrad, it's good to get a real solid foundation. Uh, but then once you have that really solid foundation, then uh, find something you're really interested in. Because if you're really interested in something, it just makes grad school really fun. It makes uh, your job really fun. And uh, yeah, so that's a, a huge advantage to me of a college education is it gives people the opportunity to, to just work on something they're really interested in. And it's great to, you know, it's great to work. We need to work. You know, you know, to support ourselves and, and, you know, there's, and, but boy, if you can do that in combination with doing something that you, you really like, um, I mean, it's just, it's just, I'm getting better than that. And yeah, I, I of course, I, I'm all for grad school. Like, I got to tell one quick story. Uh, uh, my favorite related story is a guy, and as long before he'd gone to grad school, he ended up, I think he did end up getting his PhD, but he, uh, uh, when he was uh, about 18 years old, he was a smoke jumper. And these are the guys that they, uh, they jump out of an airplane, you know, parachute out of an airplane maybe 500 feet above a, uh, an, basically an out-of-control forest fire. And this was a long time ago, so I'm not sure they... And uh, basically they have a shovel and maybe a few other things, and their job is to, you know, make a fire break, and then they, they hike out when they're done and stuff. And I just remember him saying, he said it was, it was one of the best jobs he'd ever had. And whenever he'd jump out of the plane, he'd say... I can't believe they're paying me to do this. Okay, so, not, so I, that probably wouldn't be for me, and I don't know what it would be for. But I was just like, hey, that's a great attitude. So, so anyway, what's great about grad school is, is try to try to find a job. Yeah, obviously we got to make money, but try to find a job. Every now and then you're like, man, I can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's great, just great advice in general for if you're thinking about grad school, what makes it so much easier and so much more palatable yeah. is if, you, if you're really doing something that you enjoy and that you like. Yeah. Because... I think some of the pitfalls that people fall into when grad school is they kind of just see it as the next step. Right. And they don't see it as like, oh, it's the chance to keep doing what I love or keep doing something yeah. that I like. And, and set, set themselves up for a career that they yeah, love, and, you know, and, and they, you got to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they also, you know, when choosing their graduate program, they're maybe more worried about the prestige of the institution and not necessarily for the person they're working for and the work they're going to be doing, yeah. right? So, you know, all things to think about. But yes, if you enjoy what you're doing, that's what got me 
me through it. I, uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. think if I if I didn't enjoy what I was doing, I don't think I would have made it out. Yeah. And you see that happen a lot. Um, just the nature of the beast, right? Yeah. Um, but so with grad school in mind, if you had to go back and uh-huh. do it all over again, but you could only take one skill with you, what would that one skill be? But I, I would I would say just be as communicative as possible. And what I mean by that is, uh, um, you know, just ask people what they're up to, what they're interested in, what, what their specialty is. And because uh, uh, it's amazing how many things interrelate. I mean, just again, just the visit today, uh, you guys have great students, great staff, you know, you know just been able to, uh, uh, you know, just really brainstorm up some some pretty neat areas of kind of mutual interest. And, and uh, so, so I'd say if someone, you know, if they go to grad school, try to try to do that same thing, just because uh, in doing that, they'll be more likely say they go in and, and um, a few months in, they're like, mm, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, there are actually other things I'd rather be doing at two in the morning than, you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, then uh, you, uh, uh, well, if they've been talking to people, brainstorming what all's out there, there's a really good chance that they'll say, oh, but I, I think I'm really interested in doing this instead. So, you know, you know uh, it gives you a chance to, in grad school, you know, really it focus in on what, what exactly you want to do. And then, uh, and then just in general, like once you're working and you, you have a product that you're wanting to uh, deliver, you know, the best product possible, then it's great. You're just used to, you have, you know, good networking, good connections, and you and you also kind of know what, what all is available. And it's amazing how many times uh, talk to one person and, boy, that'd be great, but it's impossible, and here's why. And they're good people, nothing against them, but then you'll go talk to a different person and they're like, yeah, uh, that's, that's fantastic. And uh, such and such just made this one you know, breakthrough or this one observation that now we can finally do it. So, it's, so you got, you know, don't, don't necessarily take no for an answer if, if you're running into situations like that also. Yeah, definitely communicate. And speaking about lawn to you know, talking and asking questions and, figuring out and, helping, and helping you figure out what you enjoy, I actually initially went to grad school for organic chemistry. Okay. <laughs> and then talking with, you know, I made friends and things like that. And, you know, I had two friends that were working with, you know, isotopes and americium in California. And they were uh-huh. telling me all the stuff they're doing. And, uh-huh. you know, I was like, man, I really like that. I really don't like running 10 columns every, like every yeah. day. So I, I think I'm going to switch over there. And that's when I ended up ultimately making the switch. And I kind of found, you know, radiochemistry and nuclear science like, kind of late, uh-huh. uh, th- later than some people. And it made the whole world a difference. And it's just, yeah, making those connections, talking, asking questions, yeah. all those things. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's great, great yeah. advice. Yeah. Um, so when did you, so you were working on space nuclear propulsion in grad school as well? Yeah, yeah. so it's power systems, uh, uh, kind of a lot of propulsion systems, like Kai Honors Project in undergrad, and then uh, uh, my uh, dissertation was related to power systems, and then did a lot of power system work at uh, Los Alamos, and then uh, a little bit of propulsion work, and then uh, doing kind of a little bit of both at NASA now. So, yeah. yeah. So for the people that don't know what the current propulsion systems are that are out there in space right now, could you describe them briefly and then ex- kind okay. of explain how mm-hmm. nuclear propulsion works differently? Okay, so, so right now it's, uh, yeah, we have some solar electric propulsion, uh, and that's where you're using a solar, uh, uh, basically solar panels to generate electricity, and then you run, uh, say, an ion thruster or a hall thruster using that electricity. And so those are very efficient. They, they'll have a lot of uh, 
uh, good uses. And then there's other other types of thrusters that can be run off of that. Uh, but the, when we really think about propulsion systems, uh, it's usually a chemical engines. And so, uh, uh, yeah, for example, liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen engines, that was the space shuttle main engines. Uh, the uh, um, And then uh, the... Uh, uh, of course, SpaceX is using a, a lot of liquid oxygen methane engines, uh, and so and then we have solid rocket boosters. You know, so for example, uh, uh, you know, both the space shuttle and the SLS have solids, and the SLS, of course, is also using some of the you know same engines that were on the space shuttles, and so it's uh, um, so it's all but it's all chemical based. Uh, and then with solar electric propulsion, it's kind of a low thrust, even though it's high efficiency. So those are, uh, so what we're really trying to do with nuclear is to get a really high efficiency, uh, but also have a very, um, you know, if, if needed, a high thrust uh, engine or a, a uh, you know, like a high efficiency, lower thrust engine. So the electric propulsion systems are usually lower thrust, but you can go to very high efficiency. And so, uh, so that's one uh, area of space nuclear propulsion would be uh, using nuclear electric propulsion. A lot of different companies working that, and that'd be really for uh, uh, applications where the the power levels are just too high um, for solar, or you're going too far out in the solar system, or you need to get the a specific mass way down. Some of the advanced systems. There's a um, ex astronaut doing a great job working on a, a thruster. Uh, try. He's he's wanting to do uh, human Mars missions, and I think he wants to go on like 210 day round trip. Emission. Oh, wow. So that's a, so he's got his own thrust right. He's been working on that. Uh, uh, his idea really since grad school. Uh, and so, um, so, so that would be, uh, you know, yes, things like that would be fantastic. Then the one that we talked about today, it's a nuclear thermal propulsion. Um, and so nuclear thermal propulsion, you really just take a propellant and you use uh, the nuclear fuel to heat that propellant. And so um, one of the things nuclear uh, thermal propulsion and nuclear electric, but you know, I'll, the, you know, just the comments focused on nuclear thermal right now would be uh, you remove the energy density constraint. And so um, that's, again, like we were talking about how, how much more energy you have in uranium, you know, than uh, a chemical reactor. Fissioning uranium, you know, tens of millions of times more energy than burning, you know, chemically reacting an atom. So you really don't have an energy density constraint. Uh, and then you also, you don't, you can use any propellant you want. You know, you don't have to uh, rely on, like we use uh, hydrogen and oxygen. It's, a, it's very good propellant because it ends up with a pretty low molecular weight but also as as a chemical reaction goes also has a very good energy density so um so that's kind of your best chemical engine um but with nuclear you use anything you want to for propellant and you don't have that energy density constraint so so you have that's kind of the carrot you know that's why you say okay this this is this is why we think there's some potential here but then uh then you get into the engineering and the details uh and there's a lot of really you know uh, important engineering that needs to be done, uh, a lot of details to really take advantage of that. So the uh, the first systems we're going to be trying to do are just a, a solid fuel system. So you take a a, a solid uh, uranium bearing fuel to make the reactor out of, and it'll run um, get pretty good efficiency. You get maybe maybe twice the efficiency of your best chemical engines, and still at a high thrust. Uh, so that's you know so that's that's a really good start, um, and the uh, and then we're going to try to do a demonstration flight in 2027. And so there's a partnership uh, between NASA and DARPA, and the idea is to just to fly a nuclear thermal propulsion system. Uh, you know, um, I think the exact language is uh, as as soon as 2027. So okay. again, so we're trying hard. Uh, uh, team's doing a fantastic job pushing stuff forward, uh, working really closely with industry. 
uh, on that. And so, uh, um, but but again, so the, but the idea is just okay. That'll be the the first uh, you know uh, nuclear thermal propulsion system anyone in the world's ever launched. Uh, and then what we've learned from that launch and the operation and uh, um, yeah, just that whole process, the design teams, you know, everything that goes into that, uh, then we would start uh, applying that towards what we call operational systems. And then those operational systems, the idea would be to, to make sure that they're, they give a significant benefit for use in, I guess, what we call cislunar space, you know, which is really anywhere, uh, you know, from the Earth. I think they're defining it as just past the moon. Hmm. And then based on the experience we get there, uh, then start looking at, okay, could we uh, enable a, a, a quick, you know, you know, quick, quote-unquote, round-trip human Mars mission. So I mentioned the astronaut that's looking at, uh, uh, former astronaut that's, that's hoping to do, I, th- I want to say it's 210, 220-day round-trip. Uh, uh, with a nuclear thermal propulsion system, uh, you'd actually be longer because he's using a very lightweight, very efficient approach uh, that he's attempting to develop, and both of these still need a lot of lot of work. Yeah. Um, but with nuclear thermal propulsion, one of the goals is to try to get to where we could do, say, a 400-day round-trip. Uh, and that would be a, a more advanced engine than these first-generation engines. But the idea is, uh, again, that some people kick around is they'll say, well, we just had an astronaut come back after, I think it was 371 days on the space station. So that's, that's a long time. You know? yeah. And so, but the idea is, okay, if you could do a human Mars mission in roughly that same amount of time, um, then maybe we'd actually go ahead and you know, you know, try one. So, yeah, so the more uh, advanced systems based on fission, uh, we're hoping to try to, uh, say get a round trip human Mars mission in under 400 days, and what that would uh, that gets kind of back into the range. You know, we had the uh, astronaut just came back from the space station after 371 days, doing well, uh, and so the idea would be if we can could get a human uh, round trip Mars mission, uh, you know, shorter, uh, then again that might make such a mission more viable. But there are you know there are architectures out there where we might spend 1,000, 1,100 days away from Earth just to, and there's uh, you know lots of uh, you know, very brave astronauts that are, you're willing to, to do that. So, but uh, but this this would be the kind of niche for a, a nuclear propulsion system. When you get to the say the second generation, you know, really try to get to where you could do these fast round trip missions, be it either um, uh, nuclear thermal propulsion or nuclear electric propulsion. That's that's awesome. Thinking about you know going <clears throat> to Mars and making these round trips, and it's kind of crazy to think that we're at this point where we're thinking about round trips to Mars, and it's kind of amazing. Uh, but so. Just a couple questions about the nuclear propulsion. So you mentioned like you know using it to power an electric kind of uh, right. Motor yeah, generate system. generate electricity, yeah. then use that electricity. Yeah. You could do uh, ion hall MPD. There's a uh, the concept I mentioned is uh, called Vasimir. Yeah, a Franklin Chang Diaz was the former astronaut that's uh, been developing that. He's got a great lab down in Houston. If you're uh, down that direction, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And uh-huh. and that's mostly for while you're in space. Right. Uh-huh. right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's all in space use. Yeah. And so, but the other the thermal propulsion, nuclear right. propulsion, that's for getting into space as well as in space. Right. Right. Oh, so, oh no, the nuclear thermal would actually only be in space. Okay. Also. So they're both. So they're both just right. for purely and, and, in space. And that's what's been so great about okay. uh, these you know companies you know that are really uh, giving us affordable access to to space is now you can um, yeah that's helping a lot too but yeah it's because uh, getting just you no know, mass to orbit. It, it really comes down to just the the cost, you know. I mean, the you know, you know the and um, and yeah, you wouldn't be able to compete from a cost standpoint with with some of the systems that that are being developed now, which is fantastic news. But once you get in space, if you want to do something very ambitious, then that's where you really, you know, cost is always going to be important, but you really need to also have the really high performance. Gotcha. So when you're saying um, the thermal, so 
you have your solid fuel source, right? And you're so you're using the heat from the thermal nuclear fission to then break the yeah. Just think of it as like a heat exchanger. Okay. So it's almost like if you took a heat exchanger. Uh, I'll just pick a number, say you were running 2,500 degrees Kelvin. So it's pretty hot, you know, but you just had this block uh, uh, or or it could be uh, particles that you're flowing a gas over or it could be a block that you're flowing gas through. Uh, but just something, but you could uh, keep that block at whatever temperature you wanted. Okay, so that would be, uh, and you could blow as much propellant over it as you wanted to. That's almost the idea. So it's like a heat exchanger. So in this case, you have the... Uh, um, you know, say you were using a, a block and you were using the, so you'd have the uranium inside that block and it'd just be fissioning at the rate needed to keep the block at a certain temperature. Uh, and then the propellant, it would be coming out of a propellant tank and it would be being heated by that block. So that's a really, you know, oversimplified way of looking at it. But it's, so it's really just, uh, uh, from that standpoint, it sounds, well, that's just simple. It's just a heat exchanger. Yeah. yeah it's like a radiator on a car or something. You know, it's just a heat exchanger that you're blowing the gas over and you're heating the gas up and, uh, um, and and that's from that standpoint, that's true. It's simpler, but the complicated part is it's a reactor, uh, and then of course, uh, as you can imagine, that's uh, you always you always want to get that last little bit of performance or get things working a little bit better. So the so you want to run that block or the particles or you know whatever approach you're using, you want to run that as hot as you can, and so then you start running into materials limits and talking to. Uh, a lot of the, the chemistry guys today, you know, you can count kind of the materials and the chemistry is really very closely related. You know, yeah. So it's, um, uh, you know, so it's, uh, uh, but it, yeah, so fundamentally it's very simple, but it's it's complicated because, and you have to run a, you know, you're running a reactor, you want to sustain the chain reaction, you know, which is, uh, and again, it's straightforward, good engineering. You know, the good news is we've been doing reactors for uh, 80 years now. So yeah. yeah, so it's, uh, so we're getting good at those and, and, uh, but it's, it's always going to be a materials challenge. And then, of course, in space, you want to make things very light, you know, so trying to make things lightweight. But, yeah, uh, but yeah conceptually, and then with uh, nuclear electric propulsion, it's, you really, it's, it's a lot uh, more analogous to a terrestrial power plant where you just use the reactor to heat a working fluid, and then you do some type of power conversion cycle and, and, uh, Turbine and just recirculate, yeah, recirculate yeah. it. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so there's some differences. Uh, we don't have a good uh, heat sink in space, which sounds... Kind of funny, but you know, if you think about it, you're trying to you have excess heat, you know, when you're making electricity, uh, and on Earth, it, you know, you just the heat goes, you know, in the ocean or a river, or, uh, you know, any, any any terrestrial power plant would do that. Uh, in space, it's almost like you're trying to get rid of the waste. It's like you're trying to reject heat into a vacuum thermos. It's it's so so that uh, gives you a lot of incentive to run at a higher temperature that you're getting rid of your excess heat. Uh, okay, but then that higher temperature propagates back to your system. So now you want your fuels to run at a higher temperature. You want your all your materials run at a higher temperature. So it again, becomes kind of a materials and chemistry problem also. No, that's yeah. No, that's amazing to think about. Are you training your astronauts on like how to run a nuclear reactor? Not not yet. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, when I think when we get to that point, that would be uh, that's part of using the modern techniques. Keep them very. Uh, uh, how to phrase it, just, just very user-friendly. You know, again, the astronauts, uh, we won't be able to have, like, say we were doing a human Mars mission, you wouldn't necessarily have a dedicated nuclear engineer doing the human Mars mission because it's going to be so hard. You're going to have to have, these astronauts are going to have to be really, really good at, like, 10,000 different things. And so and so what we want to make sure is that the reactor is as, um, 
you know, easy to use, um, self-controlling, self-diagnosing, uh, very reliable. You know, basically try really, really hard not to make the reactor a big time sink because the astronauts are going to have so many other things to be thinking about and worrying about. So, yeah. uh, so right now there's not uh, really a, a plan for it. Now, if you did have a nuclear-propelled, uh, uh, you know, human mission, then that that definitely would be part of the astronaut training. Would be how to. Yeah, what would, you know, how to run the reactor, what needed to be done. Yeah. Uh, but uh, on the flip side, you'd want to make it um, as benign as possible. I'll, I'll go back and pick on the space shuttle main engines. I mean, those engines were fantastic, and the astronauts uh, knew a lot about those engines. Uh, but the, what was really great, though, is that they didn't have to, you know, they didn't have to intervene or there wasn't, you know, it wasn't things that they were, you know, the engines were just really, really well designed, really well engineered. Yeah. So. How much weight? are you projecting to save with a nuclear um, propulsion system over a conventional? Uh, so, so it depends on, yeah, the, uh, yeah. the savings would be, um, oh, it's, you know, compared to conventional, uh, it, it'd be, uh, you know, again, depends on the assumptions, depends on the, you know, some people will say you'd save like a factor of two. Uh, but the, I think the key might be now that, uh, and it's great news, you know, technology changes, the uh, constraints change. Uh, we're getting really affordable access to Earth orbit. And so the idea would be if you had very affordable access to Earth orbit and you assembled a vehicle in Earth orbit, um, you know, say for a human Mars mission, uh, you you'd might be more interested in how f on the performance. So you might, so rather than just, okay, I, I needed, you know, less of these launches that have now become very affordable. They're still expensive, don't get me wrong, but affordable compared to what they used to be. Um, so uh, it might be that, so then the key is we really want to try to do a fast round-trip mission. And so it could end up being that the uh, uh, the payoff for a nuclear, uh, for say a human Mars mission would be a really fast uh, round-trip mission. Uh, and then the payoff for cislunar operations, it would have to show that, uh, you know, say we had, a, you know, say a tug that was just taking lots of payload out you know, uh, you know, geosynchronous or out into other, you know, you know, beyond geo or you know, you know, very cislunar destinations, uh, then that could be uh, that could be a we also get a, a cost savings. You know, if you if you can make that tug very efficient and uh, use you know, propellant depots, um, like you know, space just, gas stations, kind yeah, of. Yeah, 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 yeah. propellant depots. Yeah, yeah. And, and so a lot of it. So it, and when we talk about things bootstrapping, a lot of it is the more infrastructure we have, the more we're getting out into space, then the more we're going to be able to really use uh, these high-performance uh, systems. You, you might remember there were those studies around the, you know, like 1900 or so, when there was no, uh, you know, there's no uh, uh, real infrastructure for automobiles yet in the U.S. Maybe 1895 or yeah, somewhere, somewhere in that range. And that, that was one of the arguments that was made against the automobile was that uh, uh, to, they'd never beat a horse because a horse could you know, refuel itself, but the automobiles, uh, you'd need something like a 1,000 gas stations to be able to access the whole U.S. with cars. And, of course, now I think last I heard there's something like 2 million places you can buy gas. So, But at that time, it was like, oh, 1,000 gas stations, that's insane. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm keeping the horse. You know, <laughs> yeah, and so, so we're kind of uh, – what I mean by that is as infrastructure increases, then higher technology options like nuclear that enable more things. Because obviously you can get from here to Los Angeles faster in a car than you can a horse, and uh, an airplane beats them both. Yeah, yeah, so, but, <laughs> but you need the infrastructure. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, if you didn't have an airport in California, well um, – 
speedboat, you know, the airplane's not going to be quite as good. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to have the infrastructure there. Yeah, so. yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's a great point. Great point. I guess I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. As the infrastructure gets better and better, like the more yeah, options. Then, then you have these options and Absolutely. then the higher performance ones. And certainly with things like uh, propellant depots and yeah. other things in and space. A, and assembling of, it in space and things like that. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If assembling space becomes yeah. easier, then that makes yeah. other other aspects of things like human Mars missions easier. Yeah, oh, that's, it's amazing. It's getting me excited. It's oh, it getting, is. Yeah. yeah. Only, well, the last few years have been really exciting <laughs> yeah. and it seems Absolutely. like it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's only, it's, it's moving so fast. Yep. It's moving yeah. so fast to think that we'd have, you know, uh, people, just regular people going to space on, like, oh, yeah. you know, and I, maybe you could talk about the controversy about like who's an astronaut and who's considered oh, now yeah. that we have, I guess, space tourists. Right. Yeah. Um, so what is the distinction now? I know NASA came up with a distinction for people who run space missions and then people who are like space tourists. Yeah, so I, I've kind of stayed out of that. I, th- I think either one would be really, really fun. Yeah. So that's the level of depth I get okay. into. But okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know the space yeah. tourists, they think yeah. it's a fantastic experience. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then, of course, the astronauts, that's a different level. And, but yeah, I, I'm just glad to see every as many people as possible doing it. Getting so. the chance, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, we have... Obviously, we have tons of students here and possibly students that are in, interested in possibly working for NASA. So what is, what are some of the, the ways or pathways some of these students can take to end up at NASA? So, so I think, again, the, 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 the most important thing is find something you're really interested in and um, pursue that you know, because you want to be really good at what you're doing. And then, uh, uh, but then that said, you know, look on the you know, NASA websites, the various uh, uh, you know, commercial s- uh, sites because a lot of the uh, obviously there's a lot of commercial rocket companies now there's a lot of um, uh, they're talking I, th- I want to say there's there's several companies that are talking about private space stations because there's been uh, basically products or things developed on the International Space Station that they think they can commercialize they can privatize so that's going to be huge so so just broaden out a little bit to think just space in general and so if, if but if you're looking at something uh, uh, so if you're really excited about space, then just, boy, just look, you know, obviously look at NASA, but look, look, you know, everywhere across the board. Okay, what are people really doing? Because there will be uh, private companies doing really, really good work in space. And then, uh, and then find something that is really interesting. And then going back to us, you know, we, we were talking about communicating and being open. Well, call the company and uh, be persistent. And I, w- I will say, like, if uh, uh, someone calls once and they're really excited uh, and you have a great conversation... Um, from their standpoint, like say it's a student that calls and is really excited. And to, from the student's perspective, a lot of times they're like, well, I've already talked to this guy. Uh, uh, it's, but even if, if they thought it was a great conversation too, well, we'll call back. I guess that's all, that's all I'm trying to say. Don't, don't be bashful about calling the same person every month. You know, just keep letting them know that you're still interested. Uh, because, uh, again, you could be a perfect match, but you got to keep talking to that people. So, so I guess the bottom line would be uh, find something you're really interested in, uh, look, um, Look at what NASA you know, might be doing. Look, look at all the other space companies, too. And once you, you start narrowing in, call somebody. Now, they literally might say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not working on it anymore, but I know, you know this person, you know, and they're working on it now. So, so you know, just keep pursuing it until you get the good contacts there. Uh, and then once you have that, then uh, NASA offers uh, internships, of course. So you know, just, that's just go to the you know, NASA website, look under internships. But try to... Um, um, 
a lot of people, as you can imagine, a lot of people apply for those internships. So, so try to find the person that's working in the area you're interested in, call them up, uh, ask them if they're offering any internships. A lot of times people might not be offering internships, but they'll be like, hey, that's a great idea. You know, you know, so, um, so I guess I just go back to find something you're really interested in and then just communicate and be persistent and just track down the people that are also interested. And then that's probably the best way to, to get into any job. And then since you were interested in it, if it all works out and you, you'll just have a lot of fun going to work and it'll be the same thing, man, I can't believe they're paying me to do this. You know? so, yeah, no, it'll stick. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah, don't be afraid to be persistent. Like, I think yeah, that's a lot Yeah, be of, very persistent. Because yeah. it's not bugging people. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, don't necessarily call them four times a day, but if you call them, uh, you know... Once a month. Yeah, that's, the, you know, that's great. Keeps you on the front of their, you yeah, know, top of their mind. And yeah, stuff. the yeah. forefront of their thoughts and... You know, and everyone likes to talk about what they're doing. You know, people, exactly, you know, yeah. so, yeah. you know. And, I, and they'll be happy to know that you're still interested. Because uh, the other thing, they'll be, you know, sometimes if you don't hear from someone for six months, you're like, man, I hope they're still interested. Yeah. You haven't heard from them. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that's great advice. Yeah, like, I now, think. Get to conferences, too. I should mention, mm-hmm. I know uh, a lot of conferences, just look around uh, AIAA conferences. We were talking nuclear earlier. You go to American Nuclear Society conferences. There's a, a Nuclear and Emerging Technologies for Space. That's a conference that mixes nuclear and space i think it's uh like santa fe next year it's like late april early may and it's going to be uh might be huntsville the following year not Mm. sure yet so look for conferences look for conferences that are in your area of interest and then most conferences will give like some kind of a student uh, registration rate and just try to get yourself to the conference and and again but just don't don't get there and lean up against the wall watching all the other people talking to each other you yeah. know, get in there and it's kind of it's kind of hard before you know anybody but yeah. once you know a few people then it gets mm-hmm. easier and easier and easier so try to get to uh, events i guess where you'll also be able to meet people that have yeah. the same interests you have absolutely and usually they have some kind of job fair thing for oh students. yeah definitely yeah, job so, fairs and yeah so yeah there's obviously you know there's yeah. a lot of options and especially now like when i was growing up it was just nasa like that's the if oh, you yeah, wanted to yeah. talk about space or work in space it was nasa nasa yeah, yeah. But, but now there's so many options spacex you know am yeah. like you know i guess amazon is, oh yeah they're starting to do something they're yeah, starting to do stuff too so you know there's so many pathways now <laughs> right. that it's i'm almost jealous that yeah, you know oh, yeah, like yeah, yeah. maybe i'll pivot here in the next 10 years or so i don't know yeah. but i think uh, i think it's amazing like the opportunity now for space oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's incredible and yeah. you know maybe in the defense side space force you know oh, that's yeah. also an option yeah. you know so yeah. there's there's so many so many different ways for people to get into that into that space i guess oh yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah so, and then just find the area that's uh, of most interest to you and pursue mm-hmm. that you know might be with NASA, might be with all these other groups. So yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Great. Well, um, I guess my final question that I got from someone else um, that knew I was going to talk to you today, and their question is, what is the biggest danger Space Force will have to contend with in the near future? This is one of their burning oh, questions okay. they had. Okay. So, um, <laughs> yes, I, I um, uh, hadn't really thought about that, you know, really not a with space, I've heard a lot of discussion, and they've probably heard the same things. And so the one that uh, kind of stuck, you know, one of the opinions I heard was that, uh, yeah, we should really just be thinking of Space Force almost like the Coast Guard, you know. So Space Force will be just keeping, you know, space open to everyone, and you know, helping, just helping where they can. And so it's not really, uh, uh, it's just, just that's just kind of an analogy I heard. But yeah, I guess uh, 
uh, and I should have done it, you know, just, I'd say, just see what, you know, Space Force has out on their, you know, websites, and you yeah. get to conferences, a lot of yeah. time, a lot of conferences now, a lot of the AIAA conferences will have speakers from Space Force, yeah. and you kind of get a better feel, but, yeah. but that's just one of the analogies that I yeah. heard, you know, just I, think of, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, and the Coast Guard's extremely important. Yeah, so, no, I think that's so, a great, yeah. I think that's a great analogy of, like, yeah. comparing them to the, to, um, to the Coast Guard, I think that's really good. Yeah. Um, I guess my last question, because we do have to get you out of here. We do have to oh, get gosh. you towards this talk. Sure, we, sure. But um, so space junk. How worried are we about the amount of clutter that's in space? Yes, yeah, so, so I think there's uh, uh, we're starting to get more worried, and there's a lot of different ways and proposals out there for dealing with it. So, so it's something you know. It's uh, how to phrase it. I think I think to me it's going to be the same as a lot of other problems. It's like uh, starts out things are happening and it's not a problem and then things start happening at a bigger and bigger and bigger scale and then people are like well maybe that's starting to be a problem and then so I think and then and then once everybody's like yeah that's getting to be a problem then then the problem gets solved and so I think there's a lot of different ways we can deal with uh, you know space junk orbital debris and so I think we are getting to the point because there's so many uh, satellites now and 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 especially uh, I think like you said you know obviously we have uh, just like Starlink, and I think uh, was it is it Amazon that's starting up a I, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, they also started yeah, their own yeah. kind of Starlink. Yeah, thing and recently. so but that's see that's fantastic because now yeah. people have internet access from everywhere. The world. Yeah, you know, and so it's going to be great. But there's just more satellites in general. So so I think um, there's going to be interest in solving the uh, you know solving the problem. And there's just you know there's just a lot of different ways to solve it. And so that's just something we'll need to uh, need to focus on. And and uh, so I think it's yeah I think it's be it's to the point where people are recognizing, hey, that could be an issue. And so usually when something gets to that point, then then someone comes along and says, uh, you know, uh, I can solve the issue. I was going to make a joke for only nine ninety nine. I can solve it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. You know, yeah, free enterprise will work. Yeah. And uh, someone's going to come along and they'll, yeah. they'll have a good way to solve it. So. Yeah, and it's not as simple as just putting a net out there and try to catch it. No, all right. no, no. There's some really good ideas <laughs> yeah. out there. But, yeah, but someone will, uh, again, someone will come along and, uh, yeah. you know, okay, there's a problem. Well, we, we here's, here's some creative solutions to it. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time and speaking with me. And, um, man, you just – you've bringing so much energy to i feel like a kid again just talking awesome. about this i could talk yeah. to you about this all day but we do have to get you to this talk but thank you for taking the time yeah, no, thanks and, for having me it's oh, always yeah, fun it's, talking it's about it's been and, great uh, and hopefully I, we can have you out again maybe we'll have another part to this oh that'd be great yeah and good luck with everything you're doing <laughs> I here i know you're it. you said you're a radiation safety officer oh, yeah, and you're yeah. doing a lot of other good work and mm-hmm. uh, and i think that's that's uh, great what you guys are thinking you know, thank about, you thank you, know, you. yeah forward with uh yeah, reactors and nuclear engineering and things like that. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. Really but, uh, if we get a reactor, we'll definitely have to have you out here again. I would love to. Yeah, yeah, that'd, <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.